0: I'm your village founder, and your host, Erin Royer. Hello everyone. So I recorded some new videos for the YouTube channel. And with the move, I've been in such a time crunch that I haven't been able to get them uploaded yet. I shot them from our current backyard. I thought it would be kind of a fun contrast because next week I will shoot from our new house backyard. So a little bit of a difference. Just for a comparison, we have a great yard here. It's um, one of the reasons I really wanted this house. One of the biggest lots in the area. They tend to be pretty small here in Southern California. But we have a pool. We have several grassy areas, some other different areas to kind of go sit and hang out. So it's a really nice yard. But we do have a very busy street behind us. So that is one of the things um, my ex has always not liked about this house is the loud street behind us. So no more loud streets where we're going. And it's a huge lot where we're going so quiet and the neighbors are further away which we're really excited about but there's no grass in the new house but there's a lot of vegetation and a big hill behind us so there could be some really fun things we can do with it so we'll see um what we end up doing so the move is coming this sunday so we've been under a lot of uh, crunch here And I actually will admit that I cried yesterday when I filled out the transfer forms for the kids' new swim team for the USA Swimming to move the swim clubs. I'm sure the new swim team will be amazing and it will make friends quickly. Um, But our oldest has been on this team for over five years and Taylor's been with them for I think two and a half total. She actually swam with them when she was five. She was a little peanut. Then she went back last year when she turned eight, so we have quite a connection and quite a history there. Change is exciting, but sometimes it's really hard too. Okay, so today I felt like there's a topic that could really use some attention, and that is that parents aren't perfect. We're actually far from it, and we need to understand this and not expect Perfection from ourselves. So I'm going to talk about some of these common areas in parenting, and I don't want to call them mistakes. I think maybe areas of opportunity for learning is the best way to describe it. I think in today's society, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to do everything in parenting perfectly, or at least do it extremely well. And I'm the first to admit that I am no different. I want my kids to be kind and caring and considerate of others. I want them to do their very best academically. I want to support their individual gifts and talents. I want to give them just the right amount of freedom that they can realistically handle within boundaries that keep them safe and help them learn to make responsible choices and learn from those. I want to listen to them and help them feel heard and be available to them. While also teaching them how to be self-reliant, to take responsibility for their own part of an exchange or a situation or an outcome and not fall into victim mentality. I want to teach them all the life skills they will need by the time they head out on their own into the world so that I don't need to bail them out. Not that I would necessarily bail them out or so they don't need to struggle with some silly mistake they made and guide them so they know enough that they won't make that silly mistake in the first place, like forgetting to pay an electric bill for their apartment and having it shut off, or forgetting to pay their car insurance, and then they get into even more hot water if they get pulled over for speeding without car insurance. Now, this is a high bar to make sure I fill all of these holes and gaps and be aware of every single one of them, but it's what I shoot for. Do I fall into being too tough or too pull yourself up by the bootstraps on one day? And then another day, perhaps I can be a little too soft. For sure, I do that. So just to start with, each child has different needs. They have different traits and strengths and areas of struggle. So this is our first job, learning our child's temperament and personality so we can work differently with each child or just work with that child on their level if we only have one child. But even knowing this, children's needs will change day to day. One day they can handle a lot, another day they're struggling, whether it's a growth spurt, an incoming tooth, a cognitive growth spurt, loose teeth during elementary school years, something that happens with a friend or at school or something they happen to hear in the media, it will affect them day to day. In general, once we learn our child's nuances and how to work with them, it is definitely smoother sailing. But you may notice one day your normally easygoing child is in quite a mood after a particular exchange and it throws us off, wondering why and what's happening? Why the big change? So we then work on it, we adjust, take that into our learning, and we move on. Now the first area where I see parents really struggle and try to do better is power struggles. We all want everything to go super smooth. We want to set a guideline, set the boundary that we feel is fair, and then just have kids be agreeable about it. Sometimes we dig in super hard. This is how it is, tough. And then it can spiral. Not always, but sometimes when we do that, it can spiral. And I have had these hiccups myself on occasion. I think I'm doing the right thing by setting this strong boundary and holding the line. But then something will spiral, and this can be a tough call sometimes. Am I being too tough right now, or is my child being ridiculous? What is this reaction about? So here's a couple examples from my experience with parenting. The first one is my oldest son was being honored at a Cub Scout event. He had sold the most popcorn, not just in his den, but in the entire Los Angeles area. He was number 10. So this was a big deal. And his Cub Scout leader was honoring him at this meeting. And he, I wanted him to wear something nice. Now he loves sweatpants and athletic shorts, but I needed him to wear something a little bit dressy that day. And we got into a a real power struggle over this. I was not gonna back down on this. This was really important. It's fine on certain things, I let it go a lot, but on this occasion, he really needed to dress nicer. Now, he was older at this time. He was 10, and so this isn't like a normal toddler just like I don't wanna wear that shirt and I don't like that shirt. This is 10 years old, so we're way past that stage. And he is just having a complete meltdown about wearing a pair of like cargo shorts. And I was like, what is going on here? Like, this is not a normal reaction. This is a child who is usually very agreeable, does all of his chores when I ask, or does them on his own because they're on the schedule. Like, he's very responsible. Does his homework, does his schoolwork, on task, on time, goes to swim practice. Like, it's a really responsible kid. Like, this is a weird reaction. So then I had to really... Take a look and be like, why is this happening? Well, he started talking about how much it hurts. Like wearing those clothes actually physically hurts him. The seams in them really bother him. And I thought, oh my gosh, it finally clicked that he has SPD, sensory processing disorder. And I it had been something nagging me for Several years that this was an issue because there's certain clothes he just doesn't wear and there's certain mannerisms and certain things that he does where it had always kind of been at the back of my mind, but it really clicked to me right then. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's what's happening here. So, you know, we didn't have time to go figure out like, how is he going to wear a nice pair of shorts that aren't going to bother him? Like we're getting ready to go and he needed to be there. So we came up with a compromise and that was that he wore his athletic shorts underneath the cargo shorts and he went and he looked decent and we got through that but it was something that I needed to kind of take a deeper look at myself as a parent and realize that I was pushing him too hard and that we from now on needed to take that into consideration. The other area where we sometimes struggle and have had some power struggles in the past is with swim practice. So he'll do great. He goes, he's fine, never an issue. And then all of a sudden one day, it's like, I don't wanna go. It's the most boring thing in the world. I'm tired of swimming back and forth and across the pool. It's not fun. And it's especially difficult right now during COVID because they have to come in with their masks on, put their stuff down, one child per lane. They cannot interact with their peers. They can't get close to their peers. They have to take off their mask, hop in the water, do the workout, get out, put their mask on and leave. So there's no fraternizing. There's no more games. Like they used to play games in the water sometimes to make it a little more fun, like sharks and minnows. So there was a a time just a few months ago during COVID where he was just like, I'm done I'm bored. This isn't fun anymore. So this is a fine line to walk sometimes when it comes to athletics and kids. If they've been into a sport for a long time and they're now 10, 11, 12, and they've been doing it a long time, if they're very talented at it and they put a lot of work and effort into it, helping them make the right decision about whether to stay into a sport or not, Rather than just deciding that day they're just kind of burnt out and done with it. So managing that can sometimes be a little bit of a a parenting struggle as well. And sometimes it's just about getting them over that hump. Maybe it's only a two-day thing or a week thing. If it continues on longer than that, then maybe this is something to readdress and think about taking a break from the sport. And this happens also where, you know, children take a break and then they regret it. And we had that actually with my son when he was younger. He took a break when he was eight He went back a year later when he was nine, and he was a lot slower than the other swimmers that he used to be faster than, and he really was like upset with himself for leaving the sport. So helping them navigate that is another area that can be a power struggle when they can't see the full picture, and we can, and helping them learn to make decisions that sometimes are a little bit beyond their cognitive abilities, life experiences. So how do we push them through that without pushing too hard and just making the whole thing a lot worse than it needs to be? So a common area where parents find ourselves backed into a corner is when our children are ready for more freedom, We can see some big pushbacks with this. So sometimes like from, so the earliest days when they want to choose their own clothes, they don't want to just choose the brown shirt or the yellow shirt. They want to just choose their shirt or when they want to choose their own fruit, they don't want to choose the banana or the strawberry or the melon. They want the apple or they want to finish building their tower before dinner. They don't want to stop in two minutes or five minutes. They want to keep building until they're done. Elementary school age, kids a lot of times will push for later bedtimes, or for being able to go out in public by themselves, like walk down to the store, or walk down to their friend's house. Or they wanna negotiate their homework when they do it, or their chores, when they're gonna do their chores, or which chores they do. Um, There'll be teens that will push for later curfews, for um, piercings or tattoos, or for the types of clothes that they can wear to school or even out in public. This is an ongoing part of parenthood them wanting more freedom, and setting up these boundaries and safety for them, and then we're walking a fine line with this, letting them be who they are, letting them learn to make good choices, but also not just keeping them safe, but sometimes we have our own stuff that we have to deal with, with allowing them to have more freedom. You know, as parents, we catch ourselves in these places of pushing too hard, and then when our kids really push back, Especially if it's out of character for them, we'll second-guess, or we'll start to think a little deeper about the particular boundary. Is it too strict? Are they ready for more? Is it okay that he wants to stay up another 30 minutes tonight? Will it backfire on us tomorrow if I let them stay up 30 minutes tonight? These are varying examples, including the two I gave earlier, of what we've been through. And there are ways to deal with each of these that are far too much to cover, obviously, as I probably have at least 10 classes alone that would cover different aspects and areas for working through these, including getting kids to listen, power struggles, um, helping your kids through their emotions and to share their emotions properly. Um, Discipline tools for teens is a great one if you're dealing with teens because there's a lot of areas they're gonna push back and all the other discipline tools for all the other ages as well. Bedtimes, all that stuff in different areas, working with these things in different areas. However, I'm gonna cover some general guidelines. In general, We find ourselves in this place where we set a boundary and now we can feel like we're cornered. On one hand, we're told not to give in or we're going to set up an expectation or that we're teaching our children to argue with us, to push back, to constantly push the boundary further. We're inviting more power struggles in the future, but we also can see we may have misjudged. And we're now in for a real test of our patience in stepping out of the battle or letting our child have big feelings about the exchange, especially if their feelings are potentially valid. If their need for more freedom is valid and they're ready for it and we just set that boundary, now what are we gonna do? So I'm gonna share another example I actually had this morning along with how I handled it. Then I'm gonna go into and tips and guidelines for dealing with working with these power struggles when we find ourselves backed into a corner or also for avoiding getting backed in the corner in the first place after a word from our sponsors. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important, but did you know indoor air quality can be up to a hundred times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HIPAA 14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners, ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? visit homethreads.com slash parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's home com slash parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home threads love where you live. Now that we're back after the break, I'm going to talk about something that happened just this morning. Actually, this has kind of been ongoing in our house for the last several weeks. My daughter has just not been hungry for breakfast for a while. She just is not ready to eat in the morning. And, You know, part of this is my upbringing and my belief. And I also did some research on this. And that is that children, when they go to school, especially in the morning, their brain needs some fuel for the day. They need to get things going for the day. So, having some type of fuel to get started in the morning is important. You know, that's just important to me. But she's not hungry. So, I'm not going to force her to eat. At first, I was like, you got to eat, you got to eat breakfast, you got to eat something. I don't care if it's just a piece of fruit, I want you to have something. So what I ended up doing was I was like, okay, I'm going to give you some fruit. Tell me what you would like. I will get it ready for you. You take it with you back to, your, to the table while you sit and do your class. And then when you feel like you're ready to eat, then you can eat it. And so that was the, what we started doing. That's the compromise I made with her. And it works really well. She takes it with her. As soon as she feels hungry, she eats it. She gets a little bit of of fruit sugar getting her going for the day, and I don't feel like she's just doing her whole morning on on absolutely no fuel. Okay, so now I'm going to cover some no-brainers for sticking with an original boundary. So if you set an original boundary, these are the times that you just want to stick with it. And that is, is it highly likely that it could be unsafe? Something like teens going to a party when there's no parents at home, a young toddler climbing, climbing up onto a table where there's hard tile or a marble floor, Toddlers walking through a parking lot refusing to hold your hand. In my book, these are all hard no's. You're going to put down the boundary and you're just going to stick with it. And it doesn't matter what the reaction is. You're going to work your way through the reaction later or let them calm down and then talk about it. But there's some things that are just going to be hard no's and that's okay. Um, Another area that would be for sticking with an original boundary is... Is this generally a poor choice or is it potentially setting up a bad habit? Something like a TV in the bedroom or yeah, like a TV in the bedroom or the iPad in the bedroom. If you aren't privy to all the negatives on development of a TV or media basically nowadays in the child's bedroom, the class of media birth to 10, I think, or 10 and under, um, really covers this in depth. This was my area of research in grad school. So there's a lot of negatives to them having that kind of access to TV, especially in their bedroom, junk food before dinner, going to a friend's house before their homework is finished, or in general, just doing something fun before the, um, before the obligations are finished. Now this can depend on the child. Some children do great, not very many, but some are great at finishing their obligations even after they've done something fun or going to do something fun, they'll come home and finish it up. For most kids, that's a little tougher. In my experience, we've had issues where we've let this go, we've let them go do something, and then that something kind of pushes later and later. So they go to a friend's house, and then they have an opportunity to stay. Let's say they then get invited to dinner, or they then get invited to spend the night. They aren't going to be like, you can't pull them home then. I mean, you can. You would be like, well, You didn't finish your homework, you gotta come home and do it, or you didn't do your chores, you gotta come home and do them, and then I'll take you back to spend the night. Or, well, I guess you should've thought about that. I mean, you definitely can do that, and that's a really good lesson, but that's a tough one to do. So, in my experience, it's just a whole lot easier to make sure they finish up all their obligations before they go and do something fun. Okay, so some general guidelines for getting backed into a corner. The younger the child, the less likely the need there is to rework the boundary. A toddler or preschooler is not going to get a say in bedtimes, right? They're not going to get to push their bedtimes. This is the age of setting up really good, solid bedtime routines and sleep habits. Once this is well established and into the middle childhood, ages seven or eight and above, it's something to consider in certain circumstances. Young kids don't get a say in mealtimes or what is offered. If you're providing a nice selection of healthy options at each meal, they can choose what to eat. They don't get to decide they're having quesadilla instead of chicken stir fry for dinner. That only encourages picky eating. They don't have to love it. They don't even have to try it. But if they have an option of something else at mealtime, they're, that means they'll never have to try anything new and they will get more and more picky very quickly. So as an example, I made this red curry with chicken the other night. Now curry is a strong flavor as is coconut milk and it's not for everyone. Plus I didn't have a ton of it. I knew my daughter would love it but I really wasn't sure about my boys or my daughter's friend who she had over. So I prepared a bowl for everyone but I did also make a pizza that came out 20 minutes after we sat down. Everyone tried it. My daughter loved it. Her friend loved it. And actually, surprisingly, my oldest son loved it. I was really surprised because he does not like coconut. And I think he just didn't know it was coconut milk. But coconut milk does have a really nice flavor. But he loved it. So they all tried it. They enjoyed it. They took a chance to. um, They all had a really good, solid chance to enjoy it. My younger son did not like it. He does not like the flavor of curry. But he's a very adventurous eater. He loves a lot of different foods and most Asian foods he loves. So and he just didn't love it, and that was okay, but I was really glad that everybody tried it and everybody gave it a really good chance. General guideline number two, and I talk about this in the choices class, but if you've offered a choice and they choose something outside of those offered, if it's an equal choice, it's okay to allow it, but you want to explain that that's why you're allowing it. So let's say you're going in the car on a trip and you offer them a choice between their teddy bear or their lion, and they say, no, I wanna take my dragon. Okay. Great, you can take dragon because he's another stuffed animal. So you're letting them know it's, it's an equal choice. It's not, you know, I, you offer the apple and the strawberry and they choose a cracker. Well, you know, the apple, the strawberry is a fruit. We wanna get a fruit. So if they choose another fruit, that's fine. If they choose a cracker, well, we're looking for a fruit right now. So I have strawberries or bananas, which would you like? So you wanna stick with the same type of choice. Keep them on that same track for the choices. So the first tool when we're backed into a corner with power struggles is negotiation. Now as your children age especially, negotiation is a good tool, but again, going back to general guideline number one, negotiation is a very good tool with teens, and you'll use it a lot. As they get close to flying the nest, they will need to be fully responsible for themselves, so letting the string out on their kite as they ask for more freedom and show they're responsible is an important part of supporting their independence. And adults negotiate all kinds of interactions all the time, so they're learning to negotiate their needs, to talk about them, why they're responsible enough to do them and handle it, what they're going to do in the situation. This is gonna be a really big tool as you get towards teens. So you're gonna practice this as they get older. So once they hit 10 or 11, you're gonna start using negotiation more as a tool. But they now understand why it's being used and how it's being used. A toddler doesn't understand negotiation. They just think they're getting away with something and they're gonna be pushing those boundaries further and further. So this is a tool I use a lot with my oldest and some with my daughter, not so much with her twin. He's just a really different kid. He doesn't really ask for much. He doesn't really push the boundaries. He's a little less independent and he's just easier going. So there's definitely pluses and minuses to that. And he's also a homebody. He doesn't like to go out of the house a lot. So that is a little bit easier with him. When you engage in negotiations, if the response is is not the best or appropriate, you want to address that. So let's just say it's a snotty tone or a demand rather than a request. You're gonna definitely address this part. Now, I have to do this sometimes. I will correct the way that they go about sharing their wishes or needs with me. If it's a snotty tone or it's demanding, I cut that down immediately. Once they realize their error and they correct it, they apologize for it and they correct the tone or they then ask, in the proper manner, then you can move forward to the negotiation. So let's say they're pushing for a later bedtime. So you could say something like, I hear that you're feeling like you can handle a later bedtime and you'd like more time to do the things you like in the evenings. So if your child gets up easily in the morning, then this is a discussion you can open up. If they're not good at getting up in the mornings, then you can just say, I would love to allow this, but it's so difficult for you to wake up in the morning on time for school as it is. Until we see a lot of improvement, this just isn't an area that's open for negotiation. Or if they're doing really well, but they're asking for a half an hour increase, so 9.15 instead of 8.45, you can talk about a compromise because that's a big jump, a half an hour. That could make a big difference. So you could say something like, you're doing a great job getting up and getting ready in the morning, but I feel like a half an hour is too big of a jump right now. Let's start with 15 minutes for the next two weeks, and if it all continues to go well, you continue to get up easily in the morning, then we can move it to 9.15 and see how that goes. Which brings us to the next tool, which I actually just covered, which is compromise. So I used the example with Taylor and breakfast, the, tam- the example just now with moving the bedtime and negotiating that, right? Because my compromise with Taylor was she didn't have to eat right away, but I was giving her some food to take with her and eat when she got hungry, so she wasn't just going without breakfast completely. I didn't make her sit down to a full breakfast of eggs and toast and fruit, and I didn't just let her go with no food either. And actually, it was a good thing because that day was testing day. So I was glad that she had a little something to eat. (laughs) So if and when you feel warranted, you can offer a compromise. Or you can even say, especially with teens, you know, I'm just not comfortable with X, whatever that is, with you um, piercing your nose right now or piercing your lip right now. I think this is something you might regret later on. What's a compromise we can make with that? You know, can they pierce something else? Can they get a second hole in their ears or get one up higher in the ear? Something that you feel like... They may not regret as much. Now, of course, you can always get those removed and it doesn't make much of a scar anyway. But, you know, if they're going to be going off to interviews for colleges or for jobs or things like that, you might, eh, I don't know if that's such a good idea. (laughs) So you can maybe come up with some compromises on different areas. Okay, when it comes to younger kids, toddlers and preschoolers, should you negotiate or compromise? For the most part, the answer is no. If you give your warnings, we're leaving the park in five minutes, we're leaving the park in two minutes, and then you say it's time to go, negotiating the actual time to leave is just going to open up an opportunity for them to push back again and again, to leave later and later, both this time and the next time, and with almost everything else in the future. So when it comes to toddlers, you're gonna state the warnings, and when the time comes, it's time to go. If your child is building a big castle and you ask them to clean up before dinner and you give a warning and they push back, an okay compromise in this might be to allow them to keep the blocks out, to keep working on it after dinner, but not to push the dinner time. So you keep the dinner time boundary, but allow the building to continue afterward. Now, you want to try your best to avoid these types of situations, though, where you're like, you got to put the toys away, and you're just pushing really hard for that. You got to put the toys away, and they're just completely melting down because they're really proud of what they built, and they want to keep building it, or they want to keep it up, and they want to be able to play with it some more, and then you feel bad. And it's not that we haven't all been in these situations. We absolutely all have been in these situations, and we realize our error. But um, so understanding that, you know, children, when they build and they create things, it's it's a really big deal to them. It's really important to them. They put a lot of time and effort and work into it. And that for them to continue to be able to do that and go deeper in their play is actually great for their development. So understanding all of that will actually help you avoid that type of situation in the future. So following some guideline of allowing the toys to stay out that are being used and enjoy deeply in creative play is actually a really good guideline to have in your home. Um, this is a Reggio philosophy that we adhered to when our kids were really little. So, if they built a box city or a lemonade stand from boxes or a big zoo with trains and blocks and animals, and they were busily still building with it or playing with it, or a big train track, they'd spend a lot of time building a really elaborate train track. We would allow it to stay out even several days, even a week in some cases. I, the lemonade stand that they built, they colored it, they painted it, we kept that up for several weeks. So having some understanding of these developmental principles will also help you stay out of trouble or less trouble when it comes to dealing with these really big, um, when it comes to to these power struggles and not feeling like I just backed myself into a corner because I didn't think it all the way through. So choices, all the positive discipline tools, understanding development, your developing toddler, preschooler, power struggles, getting kids to listen, tantrums. Helping your angry child if you're having issues with big meltdowns when you're setting a boundary. Um, The development classes actually cover helping our kids with emotional skills and social skills so that they can learn to share their needs and wants um, in a more appropriate way. Helping them develop those skills will really help having these discussions and negotiations. For solving bedtime and sleep issues, the two bedtime classes, infant sleep and toddler sleep and beyond, all on the website at yourvillageonline.com. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week.